What's up, everyone? It's the log, the jam, the podcast coming to you as always with Rob. How you doing, Rob? I am doing pretty well, actually. I've had a nice, relaxing Saturday. How about you? I am doing well. This is my last full weekend off until like June. So (laughs) yeah, so that's pretty good. But I'll have a day off every weekend. But for now, this has been a nice restful Saturday. Just kind of hug out a bit, got some good sleep. And um, now I'm ready to talk about the Clippers. The Clippers won 128-121 against the Chicago Bulls yesterday. Um, And what was kind of Kind of a boring game, to be honest, aside from a great third quarter. The Clippers didn't really play particularly inspired basketball. The Bulls actually outscored them in all three quarters, except for one, where they got outscored uh, by quite a bit. The the Clippers had a 45-point third quarter. In fact, they had 26 points in like the last four minutes and 20 seconds or so Mm -hmm. of the third quarter. After Gallinari actually missed two free throws in a row, he hit a couple of tough buckets, and the team just kind of got, got rolling. It got closed by a Lou Williams four-point play, a Montrez Harrell three-point play. The key, the team was kind of rolling, and uh, and what wasn't a particularly great game, they still got some nice performances. Gallo was fantastic, 27 points, 10 for 14 from the field, seven boards, four for four from three, three of five from the line. Um, Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell both scored over 20. Lou had another poor shooting night, but still managed to play pretty well. Had a big four-point play, and, and Trez was very, very good. 26 on 9 of 18. 8 for 8 from the line for Montrez Harrell. Um, but somebody we could probably kind of noticed had a great game was Shea Gildas-Alexander. 17, 7, and 7. You know, that kind of brings about something for me. Of course, he was fantastic this game. 7 to 12 from the field. Uh, 1 for 2 from 3. I always kind of thought especially from summer league in the beginning of the season, that Shea would be a pretty good rebounding guard. He always seemed to have a knack for rebounds and getting to the right place. He was so long. I thought that he'd be a decent rebounder in the league. He hasn't particularly been. I mean, he's only averaging 2.7 boards or so a game, I believe. And that's not particularly impressive. But his slight build, and he really just had a knack for kind of getting at rebounds, especially in summer league, I think. And I was looking forward to him kind of translating that into the NBA regular season. It didn't, hasn't particularly happened yet, but this was a nice game for him. He had the highest plus minus of anybody in the team. He really did well running the team all game. They put him in a lot of uh, high screen role, and he found some players for some nice passes. Practically everybody in the team feels like they got an assist from Shea. Um, he played really well. Only one turnover as well. What did you think about this game, Rob? I mean, really it feels like the usual suspects leading the team. Gallo tries up to their usual antics and Lou. Um, but of course, like we we are usually prone to do here on this podcast, we like to talk a little bit about Shay. How did Shay do this game? I mean, I think this was probably Shay's best game of the season. Um, he just looked very in control on both ends. I thought his defense was really, really good. He had one play where he switched, he played good defense on a point guard, switched on to Selden, who drove, kept him on his hip, then had a two-hand block um, while going straight up at the rim. Just really, really impressive defense. Got his hands on a couple of steals. And on the other end, I thought he had some really nice finishes around the basket. He was aggressive when he needed to be. He hit one of his threes. I think really the only, the only black mark on the game was just two missed free throws. Uh, just went two for four, but really everything else is good. He only had one turnover. 
uh, just avoided some of those careless passes that he has sometimes. So I thought he played really, really well. It was probably the Clippers' best overall player. Gallo was probably right there with him just offensively, but I thought Shea's defense pushed him over the edge. And, yeah, he's been great for a few weeks now. Uh, the month of March has been his best month of the season. I think he just looks a lot more confident on both ends. He's not fouling quite as much. There were those stretches right. earlier in the season where he was always in foul trouble. It still happens sometimes, but not nearly as frequently. That's allowing him to play more. It's allowing him to be more aggressive on defense, uh, which is why he's getting those steals. And, yeah, he just looks really, really good. I'm super impressed by him. Even when he's had bad games, I'm generally impressed by his overall just how he moves on the court and his decision-making process. And now that shots are falling and he's getting to his spots a little bit more, it's just really remarkable how good he is and how far he's already come. Um, the sky is the limit for him, really, I think. All defense, all-star level, m- maybe all-NBA. That's probably asking a bit too much. But he's he's really up there in terms of rookie prospects the Clippers have probably ever had, I think. Blake is really the only one in recent memory who I think is better than him. Eric Gordon, possibly. Um, but yeah, he's he's a pretty special talent, I think. And Gallo, I thought was Gallo. You know, we complain about him at times. I think probably more stylistically than about his actual effectiveness. Yeah. Uh, there was some confusion on the last podcast where I think people, <laughs> uh, there were some comments about how we didn't appreciate Gallo's post-game and ISO. I mean, I think he's effective. I just don't like how it looks. It's not very pretty. And I do think it kind of disrupts the flow of the offense a little bit, though that's, you know, it's hard to really say that. I mean, that's very apocryphal just based on the eye test. Um, But he was great. He seemed like he hit every shot, just super confident, very in control. And... I mean, I thought – I was never really concerned the Clippers were going to lose, even when they looked pretty bad at times in the first half. I just always thought they were going to make a run at some point and win it. Um, I don't think it's great they're doing this, even though at this point they're probably safe in terms of the playoff, you know, falling out. They have such a big lead on the Kings. If they really do want to avoid the Warriors in the first round, they, they're going to need to win, like, a lot of games, and they're not going to do that by kind of – taking the edge off. They're a team that really needs to play hard all the time and execute in order to win games, especially against teams that are not the Bulls. <laughs> yeah. And this was definitely a game they kind of slept walk through most of the game. They were down six in that first half to end that first half. They didn't look particularly sharp, but I do feel like Shea was engaged the whole game. Uh, Gallo was too, even his kind of lazy looking way I don't know even know if it was completely for a lack of effort but they were the Bulls I think on defense the Bulls just got wherever they on offense rather the Bulls got whatever they wanted for a very long time until that third quarter they even scored 37 in the fourth which is a lot for a Chicago team yeah but, they were getting they were scoring like every possession yeah but still I guess they can kind of you can kind of take it take it easy against the Bulls this was not the first time the Clippers took it easy against the Bulls it almost cost them a win in Chicago and what was one of the worst games of all time so that they took it easy against them this time I guess shouldn't be that surprising boy that that game in Chicago was so awful I, I wish was. I could, this wish wasn't I could. that bad no, not that bad. That was a nice win, though. And I, I do think we should maybe just let everybody know that, hey, we love Gallinari. I, I, I love Danilo Gallinari. He's like 19 for 
26 in these last couple of games he's played. He's mm-hmm. um, a game off where we desperately missed him against yeah. the Blazers. And that was an eye-opener. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't want people to think that we don't appreciate him. It's just his the way he does isolation and isolations in the post, while it can be effective, it obviously stops this kind of everybody touches the ball kind of attitude the Clippers have. I don't think that's deniable. And I still think a Lou Williams pick and roll gets more high percentage shots at the end of the day than a Gallinari post up on like the wing or whatever. So that's fine. I think you can still love Gallo and still realize that sometimes uh, we shouldn't just dump it to him and let him do Gallo ball to close a game. It makes me super nervous when we do that, especially when he's just kind of hunting for fouls, which he's good at drawing, but that's maybe not the best way to play tight games down the stretch. Um, Anything else to talk about this game? Zubat uh, had a – He was good in the second half. I thought right. the first half was rough. Robin Lopez was really going at him. Yeah. Um, but I thought he stepped up his game in the, in the second half. I don't really have too much to say about the, the Doc Boylan ejection thing. It's yeah. not really basketball related. It didn't really have much of an impact. But I did like that Rex Kalamian put Zubak back in um, – to close the game. I think it was like the last four minutes he put Zubats back in. And I really, really liked that because even though Montrez is scoring a lot, the Bulls were also scoring like every position. And Zubats is a much better defender than Harold. He protects the rim. He slides his feet well. I don't think he's ever going to be an all-defense level player, you know, even close really. But he's, he's a solid defender, which for a 21-year-old center is pretty good. And he's made a noticeable impact on that end. So I thought, I thought in the second half, he was really quite good. He was a big reason for the Clippers' third quarter. They were finally getting stops, and a lot of it was due to his defense. Uh, also, you know, Pat Beverly and Shea on the perimeter helped. But he's, he's impressive. I'm not quite as blown away as a lot of people I think I see on Twitter. But he's definitely a pretty solid rotation player, and they got him for free. So just remains an amazing deal. They would not be making this run if they still were starting Marcin Gortat or Mike Muscala. <laughs> I think Yoman Buha put, uh, put up a really nice post on The Athletic, a really nice article, kind of detailing Zubats' importance on defense. And while he doesn't have get a lot of blocks, he is a very smart kind of vertical defender, and, and that's a really nice skill to possess. And I think more than anything, that's kind of what that show, that article did. And while I get frustrated with his – you know, his poor ability to sometimes catch passes or go yeah. up with strength at the rim. And and uh, maybe he, he might dribble a little more up on the top on those screen rolls that, that he should or those little pass-offs that the Clippers like to do. He does a lot of things where I feel like he might just need more chemistry. He seems to be poor. I think it was uh, Don McClain that pointed out that he wasn't the best at picking up those bounce passes and maybe people should just throw it at his chest. But – on those pick and rolls, you have to you have to be able to pick up bounce passes. You can't yeah, just you, do. you have to be able to do that as a big man. So a lot of times he's just at the rim and he'll miss shots. So I mean he's been frustrating at times, but maybe these are just things that he needs to work on. I don't I definitely think he can get better at a lot of his little flaws. And while we have Trez at least, he's definitely like a nice starter, like a nice guy to split time. And whether or not he can be a legit, legit starting center, I think he can be. But I think he does need a little – maybe need to prove it a little bit more rather than just a placeholder center. And I think I think he can do it. But I do think he needs 
to have some more reps. I definitely hope the Clippers can sign him cheap, maybe around the six to ten million a year. Uh, I think that's a decent price tag for him. How much do you think is too much for Zubat for like a multi-year deal? Considering he's probably not going to show us too much more over the last dozen games and then in the playoffs. It depends on the years, I think. Um, you know, considering he's young, I think paying, trying to get him for, you know, three years would be nice. But I think anything over 10 is probably an overpay. Because then you're just paying for pure upside, not what he's really providing you right now. Um, and the Clippers have to be careful with their cap and their superstar chase. So I think that I'd probably go anywhere up to 12, but 10 to 12 is, is kind of not great. Anything over 12, I'd probably say no. I think ideally, you know, eight or nine million, maybe like yeah. a 324, 327, if that's possible. I think that would be pretty good. He's clearly a solid rotation center, but as you said, I don't think he's really a true starting caliber center yet. The guy, a t- kind of guy you play a lot of minutes against every team, a guy, you know, not even 30 minutes a game, but even just 25 a game consistently. I don't think he's really there yet uh, because of those offensive weaknesses in particular, just doesn't really have a ton of scoring except when he's spoon fed and the Clippers kind of need more of that from him sometimes. So He's good, though. He's been a very pleasant surprise. I, I knew he'd improve this year in the Lakers, but I didn't realize that he was this good defensively. So, um, yeah, it's just been great watching him compared to Gortat and right. even Boban, honestly. Like, I love Boban, but this yeah. is clearly better. Definitely. And it's definitely a good thing that we have Trez behind him. So, whenever he is not doing the things offensively we need him to. We can always bring Trez in. And another good thing is that we have Trez next year too. So I think he's a good fit with this team. Hopefully we can bring him back for a relatively cheap deal due to those offensive deficiencies. Um, so I think that pretty much does it for that game. Landry Shamet had some big threes in the third quarter. He continues to just be fantastic. He made some nice cuts to the basket, missed a couple of layups, um, yeah. had some nice passes. I think Shaman just continues to be a really nice player. I think ideally, I think Sabrina uh, wrote an article on Clips Nation with some of her statistical deep dives and mentioned how good Shaman is at guarding shooters. And I think I've noticed that too. He's not a particularly, he's a terrible defender overall. <laughs> he's not a good defender. But when he needs to chase shooters, I feel like he knows what to do. He knows how to get to them. He has long arms. So. Yeah. That's a nice thing that at least when we have a certain matchups where there's somebody that's a, that's a designated shooter that we could think about putting Shaman on him. Those guys are usually smaller builds too, so they can't just back him in and score on him. So it's nice that he has that skill at least, or I don't know if I call it a skill, but he has that capability of staying with those quick moving guards because he does he does move quick to the jump. Um, so that's a nice thing that Shaman can do at least in the future. We don't need to always be terrified about who he's going to guard, who we're going to hide him on if he does have a certain matchup. So that was a nice thing to know. Shaman's been shooting just lights out from three off screens. Yeah, his shooting so is absurd. He's, he's so good. I'm so, so happy he's a clipper. Him and Shay together is going to be fun for a very long time, I hope. So, uh, yeah, and that's mostly it. Anything else you want to talk about this game before we maybe – touch on the Blazers game and very briefly on the Celtics game. Not particularly. I mean, I think the Bulls are, are pretty bad. I wrote that it was kind of a trap game. They have some talent. Levine is a scary scorer. 
Porter is just a good player. Markkanen was has been cold lately. The Clippers were lucky; he was very ineffective. Um, I think he's kind of out of out of shape or just in poor condition right now. Um, no, I, I don't have too much else to say. It was a game they really needed to win, not in terms of a must win for getting into the playoffs or anything, but just for their chances of of getting a non-eight seed. They need to win these games against really bad lottery teams, and, and they pulled this one off. The Blazers game, I, I really don't have too much to say about that either. Yeah. I thought they played fine. C.J. McCollum got really hot in the fourth quarter. Um, by the way, not shout-out, but um, hope he's okay. He actually left the Blazers game today, the knee injury. He's getting an MRI tomorrow. Um, so hopefully he's okay. Nothing, yeah. nothing too serious. But, yeah, I mean, he just – he gets hot. He's a scorer. He makes a lot of shots. <laughs> he got really hot, and the Clippers couldn't guard him, and they lost the game. I thought they mostly played fine. They didn't play great, but they played fine until that fourth quarter when not only did their defense on, on McCollum lag, but I thought their offense also got rushed, and it kind of stopped really running their sets and just were trying to keep up, and it did not work. But, you know, it was the second half of a back-to-back after a really, really, not cathartic, but it was a huge win against the Celtics. And I wasn't really expecting them to come out with that same energy and that same sense of purpose again. So I was really hoping they could win one of those games. They won one, and I, I'm, I was fine. The Blazers game would have probably been preferable to win, obviously because of standings and conferences, uh, but really, a win is a win at this point in the season. So, you know, it is what it is. I don't. I don't think I really have too much else to say about that one. Yeah, me neither. There's a nice. It was a nice win against the Celtics. The Blazers' loss was rough. What are you going to do? CJ McCollum got hurt today. Looks like he just kind of stepped. He got stepped on his butt and then just kind of twisted his knee a little bit. It was really yeah. hard to see from a lot of those angles. But hopefully, it's just a strain. He's going to get an MRI. It'll show whether or not how bad of a strain it is. So we'll we'll see lots of you know lots of positive vibes over to the Blazers you know that they're ahead of us but you never want to see anybody get hurt like that um, that was just pretty much what you expected the Clippers were playing pretty good most of the game stayed ahead you know I think Doc made a mention that the Clippers were up by like seven or eight or so in the second quarter and that was probably their time right there to kind of win the game if they could because they were due to have a lapse in the fourth quarter it's very common to be on the second game of a back-to-back and then the second half just not have the legs to stay in it. So the Clippers are going to be very fortunate to catch a lot of tired teams, um, especially during this stretch. So it was their turn to be the tired one. So not much you can really say about the Blazers are a good regular season team. They win games like that. So the Celtics game, though, was awesome. was a lot of fun. I didn't expect the Clippers to just completely throttle the Celtics was probably one of the best offensive games the Clippers have had. Uh, thirty-nine, They had scored 37, 39, and 39 points in the second, third, and fourth quarters. We're just completely giving it to the Celtics. And I don't even think the Celtics played that badly. I think Bill Simmons and his ringer crew went to this game. They pretty much did the same thing. They felt like the Celtics played hard. The Clippers just kicked their asses. So yeah. uh, Gallinari, everybody was hot. Nobody really shot you know, under 50% even. You know, Gallo went 9 for 12, Shamit 4 for 6, Zubat 6 for 7, Shea 4 for 7, 
Bev, four for eight. Lou, 14 for 20. Yeah. Trez, eight for 12. Everybody just shot lights out. They shot six. Wow, is that real? They shot 61.5% as a team. Yeah, it was insane. Just like an absolute clinic. I don't know if the Clippers can play better offensively than that, you know. I know that they can't. (laughs) Offensively, rather. They were just lights out. That was incredible. I think they scored something similar against the Knicks. But I think the Celtics are a little bit better than the Knicks, so yeah. Yes, yeah. It was it was just a great win. Lou and Gallo in particular were spectacular. Lou got the record in that game for most points off the bench, a, a record he's just going to keep adding to, right. which I'm guessing nobody will ever pass. Um, because I mean, you think if he's playing another four or five seasons, uh, that that's going to be like a four or five thousand more points probably. <laughs> on top of this record. So, um, yeah, just a great, great Lou Williams game. He kept driving. He did not settle for jumpers. Boston bigs were too slow, especially when he had Baines or Tice. He was just going right by them in the pick and roll. Super patient, made great passes. Yeah, I don't don't have too much to say about that game because it was almost a week ago. And, you know, for some of these games, it would really be great to do, like, a reaction pod, like the night of. But, that would take a lot of time, and <laughs> I, I just don't know if we'd have that much insightful to say. It would just be a lot of, wow, like, great win. Yeah, nice job, guys. But really yeah. great passes. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah, but it was it was a wonderful game. Um, they just are not going to play better offense. And I actually thought their defense was really, really good. Shea's defense on Kyrie Irving was great. Kyrie made yeah. some tough shots, but Shea made him work a lot. They played good defense on Al Horford as well. It's just a great game by the Clippers. One of the best games they've played probably in the post-Lob City era, I'd say. I'd need to do a compilation, but definitely a top five post-Lob City game just in terms of games played. In terms of meaning, they really have that much meaning. They seem to have secured a playoff spot. The Celtics are in another conference, but it was just a great performance and super, super fun to watch. It was just watching Lou pile on and get the record and then just keep scoring was great. So, and, and a lot of people were watching that game. I think got them a little bit of national exposure. Exposure. Yeah. They had a bunch of appearances this week on The Jump and all these big podcasts and, and sports shows and stuff. So, yeah, it was, it was a good week for the Clippers. They went two and one. I think I predicted they'd go one and two, and I was fine with one and two. So, mm-hmm. one and a couple Kings losses, I think, have, have secured the playoffs. What do you think? I mean, yeah, it looks like the magic number is eight. I think I looked it up yesterday, and the Kings and the Clippers didn't play today. So it seems very attainable. I'm still nervous. I don't care. I, I still want to know that they've clinched. And once they clinch, then I'll start really looking for playoff positioning. But I'm still a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I can, you never know. The Clippers, <laughs> you never know. I just, I always get nervous about these things. But I think the Clippers are more or less a near lock to make the postseason now which is awesome. Let's just hope they don't draw the Warriors. The Nuggets won today. Um, so they're still stuck in that second seed, putting some pressure on the Warriors. The Warriors just throttled Oklahoma City, helped us out, actually. The Oklahoma City now has the same conference record as the Clippers, and they're only two games up. Uh, two games up as far as the loss column goes. So the Clippers are not that far from Oklahoma City. The Blazers are probably a little too far ahead of us for, to catch, but they, like we just said, they did lose C.J. McCollum for who knows how long, most likely at least 
guessing at least it's going to be a weak injury at the at the very least. So uh, we'll see how long McCollum's hurt. That might help. That might hurt the Blazers as far as the standings go. I doubt we'll catch them. Um, the Jazz also won today. They blew out Brooklyn, who we're facing tomorrow. So a lot of games around the league. There's a ton of just standings watch every night. There's always kind of a relevant game going on. Um, yeah. So up this week, we do have a few interesting games coming up. Yeah. So what do you think about the schedule this week, Rob? How do you see, how do you see us doing? So there are four games this week. The final two games of this super long homestand tomorrow against Brooklyn, a late Sunday game, six o'clock and then Tuesday against the Pacers. And then two road games, Eastern conference, Cleveland and New York. I think they go three and one, you know, I think Brooklyn is solid, but D'Angelo Russell has lost his magic touch as I knew he would. Uh, And they're kind of slumping. Karis LeVert hasn't looked quite the same since he came back from an injury. They're obviously much better than Chicago, but I think at home with a day of rest, I think they're, they're definitely beatable. They're on the second game of a back-to-back on the road and a decent amount of traveling too from Utah. I mean, it's not super far, but I mean, that's what a couple two two and a half hour flight um, time difference. I think that that should be a game. The Clippers win. The Pacers are good. Like even without old Debo, they're good. (laughs) And The one thing they do is that they are probably the only team in the NBA that match the Clippers in terms of intensity and just fight on a game-to-game basis. They play hard every single game. They're never out of a game, and they always execute. They're just—they're very good. They're, I don't think they have a prayer at a deep Eastern Conference run without Oladipo. They just miss his creation and, and scoring and star power. But just on a game by game basis in the regular season, they're really good. Probably a better overall team than the Clippers. Uh, a very similar group, really, just in terms of a lot of veteran role players and a couple young guys. Um, you know, Miles Turner is a defensive player. I think the bonus is probably going to win most improved. Uh, Bogdanov just having a huge year. I think that's probably a loss for the Clippers. Though I'm surprised if they got a win. Um, and then at Cleveland, at New York, are obviously two games the Clippers need to win. Both those teams are atrocious. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of nervous about the Cleveland game. I don't think they're going to lose. But just Kevin Love is back. Uh, Colin Sexton might have some extra juice against somebody like Shea Gilders Alexander, who often got kind of praise over Sexton a lot in the earlier sta- stages of the season. That game kind of makes me a little nervous. It's a, it's a road game. I still remember when the Cleveland Cavaliers lost like 17 games in a row and the Clippers went into Cleveland and lost an overtime game against Mo Williams and the Cavs. That was his first post-LeBron season. It was really embarrassing. Yeah. So play, playing in Cleveland kind of gives me memories of that. So the Cavs also just recently blew out the Raptors at home who probably weren't prepared to play them. So I'm kind of nervous about that game. The Pacer game is kind of nerve-wracking, too. Nice to see Darren Collison back. But you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Clippers win every game this week. Let's, let's wow. see. I can yeah. see it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. I yeah. think they, they probably lose one somewhere with the most likely being the Pacers. But it, it wouldn't shock me if they went 4-0. I, they kind of need to because the Jazz are a half game ahead of them and have a super easy schedule the rest of the season. 
And the Spurs are apparently just never losing again. Yeah, like, what's going on with the Spurs? I don't, I don't understand. I've given up. This is like the third year in a row I predicted the Spurs would fall off. And I think they, I thought they would miss the playoffs last year as well. And it's, next year I'm not going to bet against them. No matter how shitty their summer is and how little talent they seem to have on their roster, I'm, I'm not going to bet against them making the playoffs. It's absurd. They've won eight games in a row now. Um, yeah, this is ridiculous. It is. I think the Clippers could still possibly catch them. But, yeah, they need – 4-0 would be great. 3-1 would, I think, still be pretty good for, for getting there. And a 3-1 week would also just about clinch a playoff spot. Um, it wouldn't be quite the magic number, but it would get them within all shadow of a doubt, a 3-1 would. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's doable. I'm not as worried for the Cavs game. Love is a bit scary. And I do think the Sexton-Shea thing will be a bit of a factor. But I think Shea will get up for it, too. Really, I don't right. think it'll just be Sexton. I think Shea's actually a really good match for him. He's bigger and longer. Should be able to contest his shots, shoot over him. And Sexton's the type of guy who I think might play with some reckless defense, foul. Uh, the Cavs are just so bad. Even with Love, I just I can't really worry about them too much. The Knicks, honestly... Just because they got destroyed by the Clippers last time, I think they might be a little angry and might be a little vengeance-hungry, but they're also just such a train wreck that the Clippers need to win that, no matter how much those two teams might want to win those. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say 3-1. and I just don't think they'll win the Pacers game, but I could see 4-0. I kind of want to say three and one just because I don't want to jinx them from going for it. No, but uh, I think that they could go for it. Oh, very much. The Spurs have a kind of a tough stretch. The next three out of four games, they play the Warriors and they play the heat. Not so bad. Then at Houston and at the Celtics. But after that, they just have a cupcake of a, uh, of a rest of the way. Hornets, Cavs, Kings, Hawks, uh, Nuggets once won't be easy. Wizards, Cavs, and Mavericks. That's their closing um, schedule. So they have a tough little stretch this week, but then after that, they probably should be good to go. So if the if the Clippers do want to catch them, like you mentioned, they really do need to go four and zero because they do have some tough games to close the season. So hopefully, the Clippers can take advantage of this stretch and uh, win some games. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I that. I, I think the only thing we wanted to talk about. You mentioned Shane Gallo. Was that? The only really notable occurrence was Wilson Chandler returning from injury yeah. and playing rotation minutes. In the in the Blazers game, he got minutes at the four because Gallo rested and he played backup four minutes. But then in the game against the Bulls, he played at small forward alongside Green, Montresero, Garrett, Garrett Temple, and Lou Williams, sending Ty Wallace, beloved Ty Wallace, to the bench. <laughs> and I was not a fan I was really, really not a fan of it going in, and it looked about how I thought it would. I just, in a vacuum, I think you could make an argument even now that Chandler's a better player than Wallace, just in a sheer vacuum. I don't know if I would make that argument. I think I would listen to it. But for what the Clippers need in that second unit, alongside Trez and Lou, they need defense and they need ball handling. And Wilson Chandler, especially at small forward, offers neither of those things. I thought Lou, one of the reasons why he struggled was he really had to handle the ball even more than usual without Ty Wallace in the game. And it just looked like a lot of wear and tear for him. 
and theoretically there should be more spacing with Chandler, but I didn't really see any more spacing. I didn't, I don't think the floor was any more spread. I thought the defense was a step slower. So I just really not a fan. What did you think of that? I'm not a fan of it. I think more than anything, this season has kind of taught us, especially with these little fringe rotations, that Doc values shooting almost more than anything as far as his offense goes. He often closed with Shamit over Shea during times where we weren't certain about that. It's because Shamit can spread the floor. He's been choosing Wilson Chandler now over Ty. That's because Chandler can spread the floor. Um, I think he's really he's really liked to go with the four shooters around the big mentality. Even with Shea shooting like he has been, we've seen Shamit get the call over him entirely because of shooting, entirely because Doc thinks Lou will the Lou will ha- um, usually Lou will and um, Montrez pick and roll is the centerpiece of the offense, and he just wants it surrounded with shooting. So it's pretty predictable, you know, when you think about Doc that this would happen. Who he's is he gonna bench? Is he gonna bench yeah, the We knew the, it was gonna happen. Yeah, this was gonna happen. He's not gonna bench the journeyman veteran, Gary Garrett Temple, who's probably reminds him of an Avery Bradley type, uh, much better than Bradley in every way, because Bradley's just a trash player. But he's not gonna bench <laughs> Temple. Sorry, it's a little bit of a jab at Bradley, terrible player. <laughs> Good riddance. But um yeah. I think we both kind of figured this would happen. I agree with you. I think Ty Walls is Ball handling is particularly important alongside Lou. It's just going to make Lou more tired to close these games. Um, but I can't say that I'm not that surprised. Maybe I'm not surprised at all. I also maybe, don't think yeah, it's like no, disastrous. Yeah. I think, against certain teams, it might actually work. Because the Clippers are often undersized, and Chandler right. versus Temple, obviously, uh, versus Wallace, obviously, adds a lot of size. And it does add some shooting. So on nights when he's hitting and the Clippers really have the floor space, it could look really good. I think on a game-to-game basis, it's probably a worse fit. Um, And certainly the first night that they played, that did not look particularly good. But we'll see. Um, You know, I don't – again, like it's not a massive, massive failure of a decision. Like starting Bradley over Beverly (laughs) for the entirety of the season, which was just a train wreck that we were all watching in real life. Um, It's not that bad, but Chandler just has not been, I I understand it's been three games. He hasn't played very much. I just don't know what he really adds outside of some shooting. And even then he's not like a great shooter. So, you know, but I, we're, we're also Ty Wallace stands. Um, right, I think right. his defense is really, really good. His offense has really kind of fallen apart this season. He's missed a lot of those little floaters and layups that he hit last year, which is not surprising because those are really tough shots. And he doesn't have like a ton of size or, or athleticism to, to get to the rim and, and finish strong. But I think he's still been a little unlucky with those and more of them would start to fall. But really it's his defense. It's his ball handling. and Chandler's downgrade on both of those fronts. But I don't think I really have much else to mention about the Clippers. That's really the only thing. Uh, I guess we could say Luke has basically been ruled out for the rest of the season. Doc, like, all but confirmed that. The only thing that's puzzling to me is that a couple weeks ago, it seemed like he was coming back, didn't it? It did. He was practicing with the team and everything. I don't don't know – he was questionable for a couple games. Yeah. There were some reports that he was close, and then all of a sudden he's out. Like I don't know what's going on with him. I'm waiting for somebody to break the story, but 
it's very odd. I, I can't really remember anything quite like this before, at least with the Clippers. I have no clue. I have no idea. I mean, I know knees are tricky, so he might have just tested it and just wasn't ready to go. It would be great if we could just get Luke for very cheap for, for next year. Based on that, he was only on a one-year deal, right? So it would be nice. I don't know. Maybe he's just cooked. That's just tough to say. Yeah. yeah. It's too bad. I really wish the season had gone better for him. He's such a good defender. Great, yeah. great guy. Just one right. of the all-time great people in the NBA. Um, with like the outreach he's done to Africa and all the humanitarian yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's pretty much discovered players. Like Embiid said that Luke was a huge and deal Siaka, to him. Siakam, I Siakam. think. Siakam, yeah, he discovered yeah. Siakam, and Siakam's going to be a star, man. He's yeah. going to be really good. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's it's too bad. Um, I just I hope he's healthy. <laughs> I hope just his life is going okay, um, yeah. and that this isn't some weird like. I don't even know what it might be, but I hope it's nothing serious or something that will like affect his life after basketball or anything. Right. I'm hoping in the off season we'll get some more details on what really happened with Luke. I'm guessing it's just under yeah. wraps right now. We'll see. I did want to mention, yeah, it's true that Ty Wallace, Ty Wallace was kind of falling off a bit. He was missing a lot of shots at the rim and just not taking it to the hole like we were used to. So I could kind of get why maybe Doc was a little soured on him. Still, I, I love Ty. I also wanted to mention Sundaris Thornwell hit a three-pointer against the Celtics, just just to mention it. Oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Long, quiet Sundaris Thornwell bandwagon. Right. Get back on, everyone. He hit a three-pointer. I think he's coming He's coming on. He also missed two shots at the rim to oh, end the God. third quarter. Yeah, <laughs> this Trez fired up. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I just – it was – it's crazy because the average – a lot of points per game in his last year at South Carolina. Like he was the SEC player of the year, I think. Yeah. I need to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure he averaged over 20 points a game and watching him play in the NBA. I just don't know how that's possible. <laughs> yeah, wasn't he a good three point shooter? Even did he shoot at least? That was fluky. That yeah. was, fluky. that was always fluky, but like he had like these little mid range shots that he would hit. Like he was a good scorer and I just don't know what has happened. I like his mentality a lot. Like, he's always aggressive and he's attacking, but he can't finish at the rim, and he just has no in-between game. He never stops for a little mid-range pull-up. Those are the kind of shots he hit a lot at South Carolina, so I just – I don't know. Um, he's honestly a guy who – I don't know how much he's played in the G League, but I think he might have benefited from a lot more time in the G League this year instead of just sitting on the bench and getting, you know, 10 seconds to, to – defend possessions at the end of quarters and stuff. Um, I, yeah, I think he really needs some real development time for his yeah, offensive how come game. He's not playing with like our all-stars in the G League, Delgado, Motley. And, yeah, Delgado and has been ridiculous, apparently. I mean, Motley too, but I mean, yeah, he, he should be down there. Like the G League is not some horrible, you know, place of basketball where it's some shame to be sent there. He's a second round pick in his second year who's not getting playing time. Um, and I, and I like his defense. I like his mentality, but he should, he needs to get better at offense and then stick around. Definitely. I think we can get to Twitter questions. questions. So the first one is, let me scroll down from Rick Carrick. Carrick. I'm sorry. I never know how to pronounce your name. I'll ask you on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, are the Clippers interested in trading for AD this summer? 
I think so. Um, I don't know <laughs> yeah. how real it is that he said he would resign there or how real it is that he's not going to resign anywhere and just go to free agency in two summers, regardless of where he's traded to. I don't know how true any of that is, but yeah. I'm assuming the Clippers have interest. I think they're interested in Anthony Davis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we could trade Gallo and just assets for him, that would be great. I mean, I think that's uh, that seems like a reasonable yeah. kind of offer. If I don't know, I'm not sure how much I wouldn't. It would have to be right. Gallo. You have to think they would ask for one of Shamit or Shea. They'd probably ask for both, and the Clippers would. I don't know if the Clippers say no. Like, that's the thing. It's Anthony Davis. But it would be really tough to give up both of them right. for Anthony Davis. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they have interest. Next question is from Le Libanais, I think. <laughs> uh, Ty's future in the organization. So we were just talking about Ty Wallace. I'm not sure. I don't think Doc is a huge fan. At least I would be playing him more than what Doc has this season. But they liked him a lot last season, and if nothing else, he's a cheap rotation-level player on a team that wants to add really big salary cap guys, which means that he's a very useful piece to keep around. I think he'll probably be on the team next year. I mean, after that, who knows? But I don't think he has a ton of trade value, and they have really no reason to cut him. He seems like a good locker room guy, so I'm guessing he's on the team next year. But I wouldn't bet on him being like a cornerstone of the future or anything. Right. I mean, Ty and, and Thornwell actually are both only 1.6 million next year. So those are super cheap. You would imagine if we do somehow lose pieces because we signed, say, a Kawhi Leonard type for a max contract, that Ty Wallace and even Thornwell would be pretty valuable players to have off your bench. Ty Wallace, at the very least, has shown he's a bench player. So I think he'd be a valuable piece. So yeah. I don't. I don't see, you know, I definitely see like, he could be a bench player, a semi-important one off the Clipper bench next year. So hopefully yeah. that's the case. Next questions are from my dad. He actually sent me four questions. We'll go <laughs> to the first two because uh, nice. apparently I missed his questions last time. So he's oh, up here. <laughs> uh, uh, but I'll, I, the, the last two are ones we've talked about before. So his first two are, one, Doc is coach of the year, and two, after the Spurs win tonight, do the Clippers have a real shot at the sixth seed? Uh, I think the second question is, yeah, they still have a real shot. They just need the Spurs to lose a couple games and, and lose that rhythm, and they just need to keep winning a fair amount of theirs. I don't think they're out of it by any means. I think the Spurs are what, like a game up and a loss up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not out of reach. They're they're right there. But yeah, I would I don't... bet on it, but they can, they can do it. Um, Doc is coach of the year. <sighs> He's going to get some votes. He will, and I think he deserves votes. But I think there are other coaches who probably have better claims. I think Budenholzer is it's probably Bud. in. It's going to be Bud. Yeah, it's it's going to be him probably. I think what McMillan has done in Indiana is really impressive. Yeah, I'd probably also vote for him over Doc to be quite honest. But I think Doc will get a fair amount of second and third votes. He might even get a few first. He'll be on the ballots. He'll be in Coach of the Year when people do their award nominations and ballot lists and stuff he'll be he'll be mentioned pretty substantially i'm sure as a candidate and get some down ballot votes uh he's been great as always there there are quibbles with the rotation like we've mentioned today the ty wallace wilson chandler thing obviously the avery bradley thing was just horrible but 
he's been really good. The Clippers have played above their ceiling. They play hard. They play together. He's gotten their offense to do great things this season, even without, you know, a truly premier star player. So I think he deserves to be in that conversation. Yeah, I think I think Bud's going to win, and uh, it's deservedly so. I mean, yeah, he's I agree. pretty much – they also lost Brogdon for a couple of months, which is going to be rough for them, yeah. uh, especially in the postseason, because Brogdon has been – one of the most efficient, it's probably one of the most efficient seasons, like almost ever, right? He's had really good splits this season. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty low efficient, a uh, low usage. Usage, right, right. So, you know, obviously it's still pretty impressive. I think defense, extra ball handling, yeah, they're going to miss him. I mean, he's probably their fourth best player, maybe. Probably. Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton. I'd say he's probably fourth compared to like Miritich or. Uh, Brooke Lopez, so yeah, that's bad. There have been some injuries lately. There was McCollum today, um, Brogdon was announced today. Exum, though, I mean, Exum isn't that important, obviously, but like he's, Exum was healthy, I didn't even realize he was healthy for like two weeks and then oh, he was okay. tendon. Oh no, you gotta be kidding me! It's Gosh. bad, yeah, it's bad. Oh, really bad. I've never been a huge fan of his game, to be quite honest. I like Exum. I think yeah, yeah he's he's like a funny, nice guy. Uh-huh. Everybody seems to be rooting for him in Utah, so it's too bad. I mean, this is like his third or fourth knee injury. Yeah, it's, it's tough at this point. Um, but anyway, next question from at Don's Clips Pats. I almost feel obliged whenever I see this tweet, the one asking for questions, even if I have no questions. <laughs> if we get Kawhi, is our window open, presuming KD goes east with just Gallo? I can't see any other free agents that would move the dial while allowing our youngsters to develop. Uh, it depends on what the window means. If they, get Ga- if they get Kawhi and keep Gallo and literally everybody else of importance on their team, they run it back with Kawhi starting in place of Probably, I guess, Beverly, because I guess it would be Shea, Shamit, Kawhi, Gallo, Zubots next season and not Beverly. Um, that's probably a 55-win team, maybe. If you have Lou, Trez, Beverly off the bench, you keep maybe one of Green or Temple. I mean, I, I think that's a window to get, like, the conference finals, maybe. I still don't know if that's beating the Warriors, to be honest, Um, or the Bucks, Or, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a rung below the top teams in the NBA. But, I mean, that would be a 50-50 5-win team, a team that could legitimately win a round or two in the playoffs, I think. Yeah. The good thing about that team is that Kawhi's prime is going to last at least a few more years. Yeah. And all those, all those other guys are going to get better. Gallo's going to be off the books and we can make another swing and another player. Um, still have assets. So it's, it's a good team. I think, you know, with how the West is right now, I feel like after the Warriors, the second best team in the West is like wide open. So especially with how Chris Paul will be declining next year too. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and Harden, I mean, is not a spring chicken and he's played like a million minutes. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, I think obviously he's going to be amazing for years to come, but it would not surprise me if this was his peak and he starts declining a little after this. Uh, and the rest of their team outside of Capella is also old. Um, yeah, the Rockets, I don't think they're like going anywhere in terms of being a really good team, but they're probably going to decline every year unless Maury pulls some more magic and gets some younger blood in there. Um, yeah. 
you know, yeah. Austin Rivers is <laughs> after oh, Capella, don't forget, Austin, don't, never mind. We forgot about Austin Rivers, so they should probably be the best he's team. Like the next youngest player who's in the rotation, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. Um so I mean if they get Kawhi, I certainly think, you know, they could be a two or three seed and win fifty a lot of games, but true title contenders, I don't know. Um it would need a leap from at least one of the young guys, which is certainly possible. I mean, if Shea becomes an all-defense slash all-star level guy in his second year, I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't be shocked. The same goes true if, if Shamit becomes truly, like, one of the best, deadliest three-point shooters in the NBA. He's already pretty close. Like, if he makes yeah. that leap to hitting, you know, 45% on eight attempts a game instead of six and a half or adding a little bit more off the dribble game, whatever – I could see them being true title contenders, but I wouldn't bet on it. Um, The next question is from Whammy. It's asking if about Danny Chow's latest article on the ringer about how Doc Rivers wanted the Clippers to be Spursion. Um, Are the Clippers becoming the next Spurs? I think that's probably what they're going for. Just a team that's always good, always in the playoffs, always relevant, has like a very – particular mindset you know they're trying to build this ethos of tough chip on the shoulder gritty whereas the spurs were always kind of classy like pop down you know put on your suit go to work every day and that was a lot tim duncan as well as pop so i think in that way they're trying to be spurgeon and just really building a team mentality and getting players that match that but i mean they have a long long way to go to become the Spurs. The Spurs have made the playoffs for what? 22 seasons in a row now or something? 22 this year. I think they're going to tie like yeah. the freaking some old ass team from from when there were 10 teams in the league. I think they're yeah, about I mean, they're, to tie they're insane. They're insane. They're not going to be the Spurs anytime soon, but I do think that's what the Clippers are going for. Yeah, obviously any team really wants to be the Spurs to be honest. Like yeah, not to I love Wyoming, mean, but yeah, they, they're going for that. I mean, and they're building the culture. I really, they've erased all of that old juju from the Clipper, from the Sterling era Clippers. Yeah. There's like nobody left. I mean, maybe the training, the, the, uh, Jason Powell, center, Jason Powell, who's just unfuckwithable, I guess. So but everybody loves him. Like Chris everybody Powell, loves like, him. Text him like every day or something. Yeah, this is Jason very lovingly a lot on these podcasts. Uh, yeah. so whatever maybe maybe we just don't know what we're talking about Luke Mbamute has been out all year with knee soreness but maybe we don't know what we're talking about Gallo has been so healthy this year so like what can we say about Jason Powell he's about to I remember both of us said that if Gallo played 60 games then we'd make the playoffs he's played 58 so far so we I thought I thought 60 would be the best we could possibly hope for I don't I don't think anybody could have expected or wanted a better season from Gallo. He might hit 70. Can you believe that? That's incredible. It's... He would need to play every single remaining game, which yeah. I don't think he does. I think He won't, he but still. Best. I think he hit 65, though, which is Jeez. Awesome. the third most of his career and the most in six years. So awesome. seven years, yeah. And I'm glad he missed most of his games when we had Tobias because we would miss yeah, him a lot. very true. <laughs> so, if we lost him now, it would be bad. It would be bad. So hopefully he looks very good. So I'm glad that that, uh, that ankle sprain wasn't as bad as it could have been. So 
that's that's good. That's good. Yeah. I kind of I kind of wonder was the ankle sprain really a thing? I didn't see him get an ankle sprain. I wonder if they were just like if Gallo just told me, it's like no, it was an ankle sprain, just so people. I think it's probably rest. just rest, really. right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, two more questions. So, mm-hmm. one from Ed Benny B Fly. What's the salary cap situation looking like heading into the summer? What type of deals will Pat and Zubat command? Zubat's command. Uh, salary cap is they're going to have a lot of space. We already talked about Zubat's. I think Pat Beverly is really interesting because he's been so good this year, but he's not young and he's not very flashy. He's a fit on a lot of teams though, but I don't think any team will pay a lot for him. I'd say probably similar to Zubat's, honestly, probably like three thirty, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally from Redondo Mike, will the Spurs ever lose again? Will ever lose again? Sorry. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will. They're they're probably gonna lose. I haven't looked at their schedule, but at some point they're gonna lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like that. Oh, they play the Warriors next. There we go. They're playing the Warriors on Monday. If they win that game, like I, I just don't even know. And then yeah. the Heat. And then they play the Rockets and then the Celtics. They're going to lose to one of the Warriors, Rockets or Celtics. If they don't, then they're winning the finals. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I was just, like I was just saying, this is a big week um, for the Clippers and the Spurs. If the, if the Clippers can go 4-0 and and the Warriors – and the, sorry, and the Spurs, let's say, go 2-2, two and two, then the seventh seed is in real play. Um, yeah. If the Spurs somehow go – three and one road games at Houston and at the Celtics. That's, that would be a tall task to go three and one. Then I'm just going to say, we're not going to catch them. Like yeah, that would be impressive. That would just be hats, you know, tip of the hat. Hats off. Yeah. And like I, and like I mentioned, they're closing with the Hornets, Cavs, Kings, Hawks, yeesh, one game in Denver, Wizards, Cavs, and Mavericks. So they could legitimately nearly run the table uh, after yeah, this, so after that Celtics game, so you have to hope that they lose like two or three of these games and it just throws their mojo off. And yeah, that's the big hope because even that Nuggets game is a Sega Baba, a second game of a back to back. So and it's a travel game as well from Atlanta to Denver. So oh, that's tough. Oh, that's, that's a loss. That's a loss, that's right? Exactly. So you can say that's a loss, but every other game is pretty much a win. Like, are they going to lose? Any of those other games? That's no, a real they're like the best game. team in the NBA at beating bad teams. That's how they win so many games every year. They're like so, twenty-eight and seven at home or something. That's preposterous. One uh, of those losses were against the Clippers without Gallo. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I don't really have too much else. You know, this is a very big week. The Clippers can hopefully go three and one, probably even perhaps even four and zero, and. I wouldn't say any of these games will be super exciting. It's possible they will. The Pacers game will probably be pretty fun. But, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of basketball ahead and just a few weeks left in the season. But looks like the Clippers are making the playoffs. I mean, just to mention the cap situation, Gallinari is pretty much making half of the team's cap – like uh, half of the team's kind of um, settled cap for next year. He has $22 million. The next highest contract's – our Lou Williams is eight million and Trez is six, and then it's just a lot of bargains with the rookies and the young kids. So it's not really enough for two max contracts. A lot of people, like talking heads, like Stephen A. Smith, say two max contracts. That's not true. It's enough for a one max and some change. But you know, if they can trade, if they can trade Gallo, which some people feel like possibly 
they must have an, an inkling that maybe they can. And with Gallo's contract, honestly, he's playing above his contract right now. Um, so if they could manage to trade Gallo, then they would have two max spots. But as of now, they have one max, and then they have room to maybe bring some players back, maybe on one year's as they kind of reboot for another max guy next year. So they really only have about like 50 million settled right now as far as uh, the salary cap goes. But um, they're very flexible for sure. So just uh, kind of a heads up on that last question. And I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Gen, the podcast. Anything left to say, Rob? Nope. Just excited for the game tomorrow. Uh, hope they get the win over the Nets. Nets are, are kind of fun. And the, the Clippers do need to come out hard because the Nets got destroyed today. I think they're, they're going to be trying pretty hard for a win. They're still fighting yeah. for a playoff spot too. Oh, I did kind of want to ask you, I was talking with a buddy about this. If you could sign somebody tomorrow for like a four-year deal for whatever much, would you sign rather sign D'Angelo Russell or Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving. Not even a question. Not, no, not even what? No, not even. <laughs> oh god! I'm not yeah. even a Kyrie fan, but I'm D'Angelo Russell has gotten really overrated this season. I think I was actually a huge fan of his as a prospect um, when he was coming out of college. I thought he'd be really good, and I'm happy that he's had a career season. But it's very unsustainable. He doesn't get <laughs> to the free throw line. Almost all the shots he's taking and making are jump shots. In the month of March, he's shooting – I literally just saw a tweet. He's shooting like 37% from the field, 27 from three. Obviously, that's not going to continue, but there's going to be a regression to the mean. He's just not that good of a shooter. And, yeah, I mean, for all of Kyrie's idiocy off the court and just lack of leadership and whatever, he's a special offensive player. D'Angelo Russell is not. And Kyrie is not young, but he's not that old. He's like 27, I think. So yeah. four years is still him firmly in his prime. Yeah, I mean, that's not even a remote question. For me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no. Yeah, anyway, so that, that's, that'll do that. And that'll do this episode of the Law of the Giant, the podcast. Thanks for listening. As always, leave some reviews and comments on whatever platform you listen to us on. And, of course, go Clippers!